Hey, everybody. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Hey, everybody. Host Nora McInerney is back for season two of The Head Start, Embracing the Journey, a podcast from Ruby Studio and AbbVie. In each episode, Nora has a real conversation with real people living with chronic migraine to see how they took action to understand this disease. So jump into the conversation for season two, a show that creates a little more space for empathy and understanding in such a complicated world. There shouldn't be so much hesitation around asking questions and asking for help. So don't wait. Join the Head Start Embracing the Journey and learn a little bit more about life with chronic migraine. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Howdy and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant and Jerry's here too. And we're just some homey, folksy types ready to spin a good yarn for you about the old farmer's almond. That's right. You know why I commissioned this one? Why, Chuck? Why? Because I thought it would be fun to put a old farmer's almanac in the outhouse at my camp. Okay. Wait, first, uh, you have an outhouse? I have an outhouse. Is it just a pit, like a latrine with a log over it? No, it's a composting toilet. Okay. With a little solar panel outside that runs a fan. Okay. And uh, what does the fan do? The fan moves air through to provide aerobic um, uh, interaction Exercise. with the uh, <laughs> with the uh, with the with the poop okay. and the composting uh, peat. I just made a. a a compost tea like that, but I used oh, yeah? a submerged um, little fountain pump mm-hmm. to create the air movement. Yeah. Pretty neat. It is neat. So, yeah, I got a composting toilet. It's good. It, it helps. Uh, I, I don't use it. I use it to go poopy if I'm there for more than a couple of days. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, but largely I put it there. So, um, you know, some of some of the ladies in my life and, and friends, wives and things, uh, don't like to squat in the woods. Mm-hmm. Some of them don't mind. Sure. But I put that there so everyone would want to go camping at the camp and be like, yeah, you got a composting toilet. I, I feel good about using it. All right. I can I can see the <laughs> conversation between the couple in the kitchen back in Atlanta. Like, well, mm-hmm. no, he's got a composting toilet. <laughs> well, now, I'm, now you can count me in. Well, and now all you got to say is he's got a composting toilet and an old farmer's almanac in that outhouse. Because I thought it would just be sort of a fun thing because I knew from growing up as a kid that an old in the South, that an old farmer's almanac was a, quite a common thing to find in a bathroom or mm-hmm. an outhouse mm-hmm. uh, to read while you're there on the john. So I have one there. It's from a couple of years ago. I need to get a new one. Uh, I should change it every year. <laughs> you know, should. that's sort of the whole point of an it's almanac. pretty slack. And uh, so I thought I was reading it the other day when I was up there cutting the grass. And I was like, I don't really don't even know the history of these things. And so let's find out. So did you read them when you were a kid, too? Uh, I mean, a little bit here and there. It's not very interesting for a kid. Sure. I could see but, that. But my grandmother, Bryant, my my uh, dad's mom, was a, a backyard farmer her whole life. And, you know, she was one of these people that 
put a lot of stock in the farmer's almanac. And mm-hmm. so it was just something I knew about in my life as a kid. Probably didn't read it a ton, though. I was never exposed to it. I knew it existed. You were from the north. Yeah. And it was Midwest, but to Georgia, Ohio was the north. Yeah, still, but there was corn, corn everywhere around yeah, where yeah. I lived. Oh, sure. So it is Farmland. a little surprising. Yeah. But the biggest surprise that I received since we started researching this is that Yumi apparently used to read the Farmer's Almanac when she was a little kid. Nothing you ever tell me about Yumi will surprise me. <laughs> it's true. You She's just never know. No, you really don't. It's great. For those of you who've never met Yumi, you wouldn't consider her a Farmer's Almanac type. <laughs> That's pretty safe to say. Yeah, so I was. I thought that was neat. She's very well-rounded. But I, um, in, in like Chia Pet fashion, went on mm-hmm. and ordered, this time myself, Mm-hmm. A farmer's almanac. I was going to order you one, and I was like, "I'll bet he's already got one on the oh, way." Oh, look at you! Very smart. Uh, also, I made a joke about you're from the north. As it turns out, as we'll see, the old farmer's almanac came from New England originally. Yeah. So I was, you know, people from the north. There's plenty of farming that went on all over the country. By God, they even cover the weather forecast for the year in California. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They they don't discriminate. All right, so uh, big thanks to Dave Ruse, who helped us out with this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to talk mostly about the Old Farmer's Almanac, but we will talk a little bit about its rival, the Farmer's Almanac. But we're talking about the Old Farmer's Almanac, the one that's uh, that's looked the same since its inception with that yellow cover, uh, the four seasons. It's very—did um, you get yours in the mail yet? No, I pre-ordered it. I won't okay. arrive until August 30th. Oh, this is for next year? Yes. Oh, it's very smart. Ordered Thank you. a year in advance? <laughs> well, I mean, what am I going to do? Be like, uh, well, what happened two weeks ago getting this year's, you know? I mean, like, well, I want to— no, but you could, wanna, from August to December, you could surely uh, gain some insight, no? I don't like to waste money. I'd rather just wait. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but it's been the same. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the cover and its presentation and all that, but— it's very iconic looking if you've ever seen one. Uh, it's been around since 1792. That's amazing. Uh, which means it's the oldest um, continuously published periodical in North America. Yeah, and I looked it up. That's the the oldest published anything that's been continuously printed in North America is the Hartford Courant, which started as the Connecticut Courant in 1764. Not too much sooner than the Farmer's Almanac. But then if you look for the world, the, the Swiss have us beat by a mile. Oh, yeah? They have a, a what's called the Post and Domestic Times, the post ock Inric tidningar Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, that means the Post and Domestic Times, which has been printed continuously since 1645. Amazing. But still, that's nothing to sneeze at. 1792 and they never missed an, an edition? Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And these these books basically, I mean, those were sort of an almanac craze at one point. Uh, lots of small family farms all over the country. Yeah. Pre-industrialization. There were hundreds of farmers' almanacs all over the place, a lot of regional ones, uh, even local ones. And what you would find in them, if you were like, well, guys, what the heck is a farmer's almanac? Good, good walk back. What it is, is there are books that will say things like, here's uh, when you should plant things. Here's some tips on cattle. Very importantly, here are uh, astronomical um, charts. This is when the sun is going to rise and set in the spring Mm -hmm. and throughout the year. These are the phases of the moon. 
here are some recipes, maybe here's some jokes, here's some poetry. So they would mix in some folksy, fun stuff and entertaining stuff along with um, sort of boots to the ground advice, tips, and raw data for farming. Yeah, and but the big draw is the long-range weather forecasts. Like, they essentially forecast the weather, generally, for the entire United States and Canada a year in advance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll talk about that. And they say that they're 80% accurate, which is mind-boggling. It's, it's almost unbelievable. Yeah, and it's things like I, I remember my grandmother referring to it for her crops later in the year to see, like, how rainy is it going to be this fall? How rainy will it be six months from now? Exactly. And people put a lot of stock in it, and some people still do even. Yeah. So it's it's an unusual and unique combination of folksy folk wisdom um, and folklore even. Things like if you want to have turnips in the winter and you, there's no such thing as refrigeration, keep them in packed in sawdust during the summer or whatever. Yeah. Stuff like that. It's useful. But then there's also like astrology, like horoscopes and that kind of thing. So it, but the, and then it's alongside like actual legitimate astronomical data that is mm-hmm. accurate. So it's a weird combination of it this really stuff. Is. And apparently it grew out of the medieval era. Um, and the word almanac itself seems to have been invented by medieval French astronomers in the 13th century, although they said that it was an Arabic word, almanac, and uh, that meant calendar of the heavens. And apparently these astronomers just totally made that up. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, like you said, invented by the French. Uh, these medieval almanacs were, they were just handwritten this before the printing press. And they did some similar things, though. They talked about uh, like um, celestial bodies and uh, moon phases and stuff like that. Uh, eventually, when the printing press comes along, uh, they were some of the first things to be printed. Like people live their lives by these a lot of times. So they were some of the most popular early books and, and periodicals that existed in the world, essentially. Yeah, and because of their popularity and because even back then they were just kind of bizarre creatures, their own thing. Um, they were also widely satirized, too. Um, as early as 1532, there was a French satirist named Rabelais who created a, a parody almanac, um, and he prognosticated stuff that's quite obvious as, as a way to just kind of mock what almanacs do. But he started a trend that lasted for hundreds of years, and the most famous parody almanac was Poor Richard's Almanac, which was published by Benjamin Franklin from 1732 to 58. And what's neat is, even though it was a parody and they made stuff up and it was funny and, and a satire of almanacs, it also contained like actual yeah. helpful, useful information too. Yeah, it did. Uh, he wrote under the pseudonym Richard Saunders. And it, it's famous for a lot of things, one of which, like you said, it was around for, uh, what, 20-something years, 25, 26 years? I, I'm guessing like 30-something. Yeah, but it was like the best-selling for that long. Um, but it was very famous now for these, uh, a lot of turns of phrase that Franklin invented as Saunders. Such as? We, we still use today. Uh Haste makes waste is one. Um, fish and visitors smell after three days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, the old standard, uh, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Very nice. All, all came from poor Richard's almanac. Yeah, from the noodle of Ben Franklin himself because he wrote it and published it. That's right. What a renaissance dude he was. <laughs> he really was. We, 
We've kind of danced around Franklin here and there. I wonder uh, <laughs> he said, if, Stop we, it. if we could ever. <laughs> These annoying podcasting sprites. <laughs> Uh, I wonder if we should ever just dive in and uh, and just cover him in earnest. I think we totally should. You probably should. Or at the very least, uh, that, that kite and the key. Uh, I feel like we have talked about that before. Have we? Yeah, I can't remember which episode, but I think we're like, that's not, didn't happen. Yeah. But um, he, his Poor Richard's Almanac, everything Franklin touched basically turned to gold. He was just mm-hmm. good at everything. And his his parody Almanac... Um, which was apparently inspired by a, a European almanac called Poor Robbins. Um, he, he kicked off like that almanac craze that you talked about mm-hmm. in, I think, the late 18th century, which is when Robert Bailey Thomas came along and said, I'm getting in on this almanac stuff myself because I find them thoroughly fascinating. I think that's a great place for a break. Okay. We'll come back if you agree and uh, talk about who Robert Bailey Thomas was right after this. Hey everyone, host Nora McInerney is back for season two of The Head Start, Embracing the Journey, a podcast from Ruby Studio and Abvi. In each episode, Nora has real conversations with real people living with chronic migraine to see how they take action to understand the disease. That's right. Recognizing how a migraine attack can change the course of your day, she unpacks each guest's journey and how they talk to their doctors to find the treatment plans that are right for them. Yep, along with headache specialist Dr. Christopher Ryan and other special guests, Nora speaks to these incredible people who've channeled their feelings of isolation in their chronic migraine journey into advocacy and art. Plus, there are also eight episodes of their first season available for you to binge. So jump into the conversation for season two, a show that creates a little more space for empathy and understanding in such a complicated world. There shouldn't be so much hesitation around asking questions and asking for help. So don't wait. Join the Head Start, embracing the journey as they learn a little bit more about life with chronic migraine. Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But you can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, Richard's rainwater is naturally pure with no need for harsh chemicals or additives. That means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text stuff to 251292887 and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. Hey everybody, we're here to tell you about Viator, a tool that you can use to plan and book travel experiences around the world. That's right. The Viator app and website make it easy to explore 300,000 plus travel experiences so you can discover what's out there no matter where you're traveling or what you're interested in. Yep. Viator can help you plan better travel experiences. 
300,000 plus travel experiences to choose from means you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. That's right. You can also enjoy real traveler reviews to get insider information from people who've already been on the experience that you're considering. Plus, you get free cancellation that helps you plan for the unexpected. Yeah, and Viator offers 24-7 customer service, so you know you'll get support at any hour if things aren't going as planned. So download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find the perfect travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Burning stuff with Joshua and Charles. Stuff you should know. So Robert Bailey Thomas is an entrepreneur. Almanacs are all the craze. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like you said, he wanted to get on get in on this action. He was a dude from Massachusetts who was a farm guy, uh, but a farm guy raised by educated parents, an educated farming family mm-hmm. who very much valued uh, reading. They had a very big library, and he would just, you know, he was quite taken with almanacs and astronomy and uh, science journals and kind of it, it all sort of makes sense that he would one day want to do an almanac when you look at his upbringing. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty remarkable that his parents had a library in their house, but they were educated farmers and they made sure that their kid was educated as well. Um, before he became an al- almanac publisher, he was a school teacher, a bookbinder. And he said, nope, I'm going to do this almanac thing. I've been putting it off long enough. By God, I'm going to chase my dream. And he did. So he went to Boston. <laughs> he went and studied at Osgood Carleton School of Mathematics in Boston. <laughs> which it today so janky. <laughs> it does. Like if you're if you're taking classes from Osgood Carleton School of Mathematics today, you should unenroll yeah. and ask for your money back. Boy, I hope it's not still around. <laughs> I hope not too, because <laughs> that was a pretty harsh insult. But at the time, I mean, it was yeah. a legitimate school. It just had a silly name. And that's where um, Robert Thomas went to go figure out how to create these astronomical charts that he was going to publish in his almanac. Yeah. So, like, all the things are there. His parents were farmers. He was into science. He worked as a bookbinder and a teacher. He took these math classes. Like, it, it is all sort of uh, coalescing into a pretty obvious thing to do. And that year in 1793, or I guess the year before, for the year 1793, Mm -hmm. he put out, because people like, I don't know, Josh Clark liked to buy things a little early. Yeah. You don't buy this year's calendar in July? What a waste. Exactly. You buy (laughs) next year's calendar in July. My mom might do that when I was a kid because they were on sale. <laughs> half price but calendar. I'm not saying that that's the way forward for all humanity. That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, I'd be an idiot not to buy this. I think I got my uh, I got a calendar every year, and I think I always got it on my birthday in March. For and I can't imagine. Oh, that's why. hilarious. Yeah, it's pretty funny. I um I got a calendar in the mail from being a member of the Audubon Society, and I was oh. like, "What the hell am I going to do with this?" <laughs> Like an actual legitimate calendar these days is like, it's just not handy. Like it just doesn't have a place in the world. So I have to figure out what to do with it. I disagree. Is it a daily calendar? No, it's a calendar. A monthly thing? Like what you got for your birthday. 
Uh, my friend, we still get calendars. Uh, Emily, I wish I could remember the uh, the artists, but these very beautiful month calendars. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, these artists draws these very beautiful pictures. And sure. It hangs on the wall, and I I find a great deal of value in a month at a glance without getting out my phone and okay. all the distractions that come with that. I feel it's like I'm me. I'm a big enough person to admit when I'm wrong. Hey, no, not not everything works for everyone. So no, I was just you might think it's silly. Who point calendars and you change my mind? I'm going <laughs> to put it up somewhere because you're right, and all I right. knew that just seeing the, the little pretty birds every month is great. Yeah, I was going to do something with it. But I, I was still just astonished. I haven't seen an actual calendar for a very long time. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, all right. So where are we? He he finished his mathematics and in 1793 put out mm-hmm. uh, the first edition, which was called The Farmer's Almanac. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about the word old coming and going as it comes and goes. <laughs> so um, he apparently in the first cover, he said that the Farmer's Almanac containing, besides the large number of astronomical calculations and farmer's calendar for every month of the year, as great a variety of new, useful, and entertaining matter. Which is not the best sentence ever, but it really gets across. It's just jam-packed with stuff. And he fit it all into a 46-page book, which is much slimmer than the ones you get today, from what I understand. Yeah, and that, that uh, what do you call that, a slogan, I guess? I guess... Clumsy it's still slogan? on the cover. Is huh? it? Is it still? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. You'll see very soon. Hmm. It's been on there for 230 straight years, uh, as well as um, pictures of, uh, or I guess portraits of Ben Franklin on one side yeah. and Robert Thomas on the other. Why am I thinking of Rico Tubbs every time we say Robert Bailey Thomas's name? What was his name? I know it was three names and there was a Thomas oh. in there, I think. Philip oh, I don't know. Thomas. Oh, y- Oh, you mean the the actor? Yeah, Rico Tubbs from Miami Vice. Yeah, I thought uh, what's his name? What's his real name? Uh, Don Johnson and yeah, him. Remember what happened to that guy? Is he around? Oh, I'm sure he's around. Uh, he got super rich off of Miami Vice and said, "So long, suckers! I'm going to become a farmer." And he subscribed <laughs> to the Farmer's Almanac. Uh, yeah, like you said, 46 pages, and it had all the things you would expect. It had all those sunrises and sunsets and moon phases. It had uh, all the advice. It had home remedies uh, for for you know little ailments and and things like that. This was just coming off of the um, snake oil sort of period, mm-hmm. or maybe it was still right in the middle of it. Actually, yeah, I think that lasted well into the nineteenth and even early twentieth century. Yeah, so all this kind of stuff was very popular, and he put it in print. Gardening advice, all the the poetry and the little jokes. And he had math puzzles and things like uh, because he was a math guy from that amazing college that he went to. Mm -hmm. And he apparently was a good writer. And that's why it became because, like we said, there were hundreds of almanacs and this one became the most popular because he was good at doing it. He was a um, for the time he was sort of a witty and clever guy and people like just liked his writing. Yeah. That's uh, that's really important that he wasn't like this innovative, amazing, like he didn't invent the whole thing. Uh, he, I mean, he came along centuries after the first one started being published, but he was just that interesting that his publication has been around 230 years. That's yeah. pretty remarkable if you really Heck stop yeah. and think about it. That's how, that's how much of a nerve that guy touched. And that list of stuff that you talked about, that's essentially exactly what you're going to find today. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I went and looked up some of the math problems. I'm like, I'll, I'll bet I can do this. Right. Sure. There was Renowned, one. Renowned mathematician. I found from the 1974 edition. Uh-huh. Um, and it was it has three circles, and they're separate from one another. Okay. And the question is, how many circles can you draw that touch all three circles in just one point? And I'm like, well, you can draw one in the center of them, and you can draw one on the outside, so two. And I went and flipped forward to see what the answer was, and the answer mm-hmm. was seven. And I still have no idea. And I probably I never will how <laughs> how you could possibly draw seven circles that fulfilled that criteria, um, and I'm just sticking with two. I think it's a misprint. No, someone it didn't show you though. No, it just said seven. Oh. <laughs> that was that's it, and then really, it moved on to the next that's answer. Really annoying. Yeah, well, someone will send in an answer. Mm-hmm. Some we have plenty of math help. I don't want to know a different answer. The answer is two. Oh, all right, okay. Um, so one example, you know, we talked about people liking his writing and him being a little more creative than maybe your average almanac at the time, uh, was he did one on cider making, but instead of just leaving instructions and a recipe, he made it more of a story, uh, about he and a farmer with some witticisms and jokes and stuff. Uh, kind of like maybe he started that recipe trend of having to scroll for 10 pages <laughs> exactly. before you get to the recipe. Thank God for that jump to recipe button. Amen. But that cider making thing, that's a good example of what you'd find. That was for like the month of October. So each month would have, you know, some information or some suggestions on what you should do around the farm that month. And making cider is what you would do in October. And then on the opposite page, I love this. I, I hope they still use it so I can get it in my 2024 edition. But it would say at the top of the month, October hath 31 days. Ugh. And for some reason, it just makes it seem so Amazing. ominous. Yeah. You know, like something <laughs> bad's going to happen in October uh-huh. because they said it hath 31 days. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I hope it does have 31 days. You know, it would be <laughs> ominous if it said October hath 28 days yeah. this year. Yeah. The almanac would know. Uh, Thomas himself um, did 53 editions of the Farmer's Almanac before he died. In 1846, uh, he apparently died editing, um, as the story goes, for the next edition um, that was ready to be shipped to your house. Mm-hmm. And that that's the story of the old Farmer's Almanac. But what about the old? Oh, well, the old part actually came all the way back in 1832 when um, Philip Seymour Hoffman was um, still editing the Almanac. He changed mm-hmm. the name to the Old Farmer's Almanac because it had been around for 35 years already. Mm-hmm. And it had enough competition that he wanted to be like, hey, don't forget, this is the original Farmer's Almanac. But instead, he used old. Yeah. I'm trying to find the Philip Seymour Hoffman joke, but it, I don't get it. Uh, the Robert Bailey Thomas. Oh, okay. Just three names. Mm-hmm. You're going to call him John Wayne Gacy next? Well, no, no. <laughs> I called him Philip Seymour Hoffman because the Rico Tubbs has Philip and I think Philip Michael Thomas. Philip Michael Thomas. Yes, it is. It's Philip Michael Thomas. Whew. And we didn't look it up either, did we? We did it. I didn't look it up when no, you said Philip. I it didn't clicked. either. Yeah, we did it, Chuck. We just connected brain waves. I know. That I feel neat. like we should just stop. Sure. I mean, retire. Okay. <laughs> uh, so you talked about old, right? You finished that part. Yeah, that he was distinguishing his publication from the competition. That's right. Um, and Richard, I'm sorry, John Jinx, I want to call, call call him Richard for some reason, 
uh, probably because of Richard's Almanac. Thomas died. Um, John Jenks was the guy who changed it to old. And uh, that cover art started because of Jinx in 1851, and that's the same cover that they still use today that I was talking about. Yeah, and apparently Thomas changed it to – he's the one who introduced old, stopped. He took it away three years later, and then his successor said, no, we're going to go back to the old Farmer's Almanac. Yeah, that was Jinx. Yeah, Mr. Jinx. I think we just got really confusing then, but hopefully people figure it out. Yeah, eventually. Just keep listening to what we said over and over, and you'll eventually (laughs) discern the truth. All right, so we should talk a little bit, though, about the other Farmer's Almanac because I'm sure when you went online, unless you just typed in old, if you just type in Farmer's Almanac, you're going to see probably both the old Farmer's Almanac and the yellow and then just the Farmer's Almanac and it's sort of orangey and it looks more modern than the other one. Yeah, I guess more modern is a, it's a relative term. They both look pretty old-timey to me. Yeah, that's true. I think the other one looks older, though. Okay, but the, it was founded in 1818, so it's pretty old itself, but because the original Farmer's Almanac, the old Farmer's Almanac was from 1792, they just have to acquiesce and say, yes, we're just the Farmer's Almanac. But there's a, a, a I think she doesn't edit anymore, Janice Stillman. She was the first woman editor of the old Farmer's Almanac, and she was editing as recently as a few years ago, if she isn't still, And she said that um, there's one other publication, a Farmer's Almanac, that seems to, the kind word is, emulate everything we do. And this is like, she's saying this in like 2018 or 19. These these publications have been like rivals of one another for centuries now, and they still throw shade at one another every chance they get. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're the two big ones. And I think the old Farmer's Almanac outsells the regular, right? Yeah, but I I don't think it's necessarily by too much. I think they both sell a pretty decent amount. They both sell millions still. Millions. A year. Maybe even billions. <laughs> no, just millions. Oh, okay. Uh, one of the big diffs, though, and I think I even remember this growing up, is that you could buy an old farmer's almanac in a store. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you went to get to a bank or maybe to get your insurance, like to an actual insurance agent at an office. Who is also a part-time farmer? Perhaps. Then you might get a farmer's almanac uh, branded by that business because that is what they did. That was their strategy is let's not sell this thing to retail stores. Mm -hmm. Let's sell it to businesses. Let them put their stamp on the front of it and give them out instead of a toaster. They still do that. Um, and only since 1994 or five uh, edition, they started selling them in retail stores, but they also still offer it as like a branding thing for, for banks. The kind of banks that like John Wisdom robbed in Wisdom, that Emilio Estevez movie. <laughs> That's where you would get like a bank branded uh, farmer's almond. Wow. Uh, yeah, sure. Like a hayseed bank. Sure. I wouldn't call it that, but... <laughs> We should have a uh, a Stuff You Should Know branded Farmer's Almanac and send those out. <laughs> it would be That'd be pretty fun. Awesome. I wonder how much that costs. There, It's not much. Um, oh, I can't remember. It was. It came up in Google search, and I was like, that's reasonable. It wasn't much at all. I think $25 or something for 100 of them or something crazy. Did Just you get the crazy. Philip Michael Thomas branded Farmer's Almanac? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so the the regular Farmer's Almanac, the one that's newer, um, 
that's in scare quotes. Uh, a guy named Ray Geiger ran that for about 60 years. Mm -hmm. And he was a big marketing whiz. And he, he used to refer to himself as the most interviewed man in America. <laughs> and he may be right. He, he apparently uh, was interviewed more than 18,000 times in his career. And he seemed to really, really enjoy sitting down and talking about uh, the Farmer's Almanac and himself. Yeah, and one of the other things he did too, Chuck, was um, in addition to giving interviews to just drum up business for the Farmer's Almanac or keep it interested. And this is like, he's working from 1934 to 1994. That is a tough period yeah. to remain at the helm of a Farmer's Almanac and keep people interested in it as the world is changing yeah. like it is. And that's what he dedicated himself to. And one of the other things he would do in addition to interviews is create like national campaigns to do something that was kind of farmer's almanacy, and to get people talking about things that was farmer's almanacy and the farmer's almanac itself. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy who went from the Lindy Hop to grunge. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it is crazy. And those campaigns, um, and I, I think a lot of this was to get attention. I'm not sure how many of them he really, really wanted to get accomplished. Or maybe he wanted them accomplished and it was a PR thing, mm -hmm. but it seemed to to get attention, I think, was maybe the point. But like, hey, let's move Thanksgiving to October. Sure. More uh, in line with Canada. Forget paper dollars. Let's use coins. Stuff like that. The one that I can get behind, by golly, is the extending daylight savings time year yeah. round. I, I wish they're he, doing that, though, right? They talk about every year, and I don't know what who's dragging their heels on this. Yeah. It drives me nuts every year. Twice a year, I go totally bonkers. Um, because of daylight savings time coming or going, yeah. it just stinks, you know? So I agree. I really wish he would have been successful. But he was successful with one campaign. Apparently, I don't know what decade it was, but the USPS was planning on replacing, on postmarks, the place name, or town or st and state, whatever, with a mm -hmm. code, a numerical code. And he started this campaign to say, no, 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 let's keep the place names. It's way more interesting than a, a numerical code, and uh, the USPS listened. So that's why there's still place names on postmarks. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. when you get it stamped uh -huh. at the post office, it says, you know, Atlanta, Georgia, or something right, like that. Right, right. shows where it was sent from. Yeah. They were going to replace it with, you know, 00329 or something oh, like okay. that. And it's just I like that. Like robot talk, you know? Yeah. And he saved the day. <laughs> Who needs that? Robots. All right, we're going to take another break. Uh, we're going to talk about more lore and finally get to the bottom of whether or not those weather predictions are really right. Hey, everyone. Host Nora McInerney is back for season two of The Head Start. Embracing the Journey, a podcast from Ruby Studio and AbbVie. In each episode, Nora has real conversations with real people living with chronic migraine to see how they take action to understand the disease. That's right. Recognizing how a migraine attack can change the course of your day, she unpacks each guest's journey and how they talk to their doctors to find the treatment plans that are right for them. 
Yep, along with headache specialist Dr. Christopher Ryan and other special guests, Nora speaks to these incredible people who've channeled their feelings of isolation in their chronic migraine journey into advocacy and art. Plus, there are also eight episodes of their first season available for you to binge. So jump into the conversation for season two, a show that creates a little more space for empathy and understanding in such a complicated world. There shouldn't be so much hesitation around asking questions and asking for help. So don't wait. Join the Head Start, embracing the journey as they learn a little bit more about life with chronic migraine. Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But you can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, Richard's rainwater is naturally pure with no need for harsh chemicals or additives. That means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text STUFF to 2512-928887 and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. You know, true love is always being excited from the first moment you see one another. And every time after that, it's taking long walks together in the summer or gazing longingly into each other's eyes and watching their tail wag when they chase a squirrel in the yard. Well, the pedigree brand asked about believing in love at first sight. And honestly, the answer is yes. Uh, As everyone knows from listening to this show, we have pulled all of our dogs off the street that Emily and I have had over the years, either right off the street or through a local shelter and working with them. And they've all become valued family members. And we think they've appreciated it, too. Yeah, Chuck, there is a pedigree loyalty survey that found that 90% of first-time dog owners report having a dog improved at least one of their relationships, and 80% of first-time dog owners are overwhelmingly more likely to have made at least one new connection as a result of getting a dog. And 95% of all dog owners say that the bond they have with their dogs is closer than they ever expected. Not a big surprise. That's true. We all know that adopting a dog can lead to a lifetime meaningful connection and real love can exist between a pet and a pet parent. You got that straight. Pedigree is committed to helping more dogs find loving homes. Opening your home to a dog can help open your heart. And Love at First Sight is closer than you think because it's available at your local dog shelter. Yeah, very important point. You can find love at first sight with the Pedigree Adoption Drive from June 7th to June 9th. And the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. That's right. So just visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. One thing I did not realize, Chuck, is that there's actual lore surrounding almanacs, which makes sense in retrospect. We're talking about 
a couple hundred years plus of mm -hmm. editions of two different almanacs. So, of course, they're going to have played a role in something other than their, their own publications. And they, they did a few times over. One of the things that does have to do with their actual, like the actual physical almanac, is that um, there's a hole in the top left corner of both of them. And both almanacs claim to have been the originator of that. And the reason that both almanacs say they created this hole is because they found out their customers were doing the same thing. They were nailing a, a nail, hammering a nail through the almanac when it arrived, pull the nail out and put a piece of string through it so they could hang it from a hook wherever yeah. they wanted to keep it handy. Pretty cool. Uh, they both have the same story, like you said. That's the one thing that I, after reading this, I have mine in my outhouse just sitting in the magazine rack that oh I goodness. screwed into the wall. And I'm, I'm going to change that next time I go up there. I'm going to you know, put a, a nail in the wall mm -hmm. and a string through that thing so we can hang it up. That's apparently how it's done. That's how, are you going to do that? Yeah, I'm going to hang it right next to my bird calendar. Right. <laughs> you got to go back in time. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so they both said they came up with that, but the apparently the one distinction is the regular Farmer's Almanac is the one that they sort of claimed that you could hang it up in the outhouse specifically so you could use it as a reference or to wipe your butt. Mm -hmm. So both of them said, well, we, we started drilling this you know, beforehand, drilling the hole in beforehand so it arrives pre-drilled. Whoever started it will probably never know. Um, and that's just a really good example of Farmer's Almanac and Old Farmer's Almanac rivalry. Like yeah. they both have the audacity to say, nope, it was us. And here's the identical story the other one is telling of why right. we started doing it. Yeah, totally. There's another, there's a, a trial that Abraham Lincoln was a part of called the Almanac Trial where almanacs played an outsized role in it, too. Yeah, this is kind of fun. Uh, Lincoln was um, defending a friend of his uh, son who was accused of murder. Didn't do a lot of these criminal trials, but since it was a pal, he was like, sure, I'll step up. And in the trial, there was this very Brady Bunchy kind of thing that happened. Uh, <laughs> he did not throw his briefcase on the floor. Um, Man, that was a good episode. That was a good episode. Um, if, you're, if you've never seen the Brady Bunch... It's a great trial scene where uh, Mr. Brady, there was a, I think the the guy suing or something, yeah. had a neck brace on. Said he had whiplash from being rear-ended by right. Mrs. Brady. That's right. That's what it was. And no one believed the guy. And during the middle of the court scene, uh, Mr. Brady throws his briefcase on the floor and it lands with a thud. And the man twists his neck, which he would not be able to do mm -hmm. had he had a stiff neck. Yeah, he jerked over to look to see what that sound was. Oh, man, Mike brilliant. Brady stood up and, like, shook his fists and screamed this primal scream. <laughs> it was one of the most bizarre moments in TV history. It was really great. Uh, but Lincoln did something similar uh, when the, I believe, um, the prosecution said, I saw the defendant beating a victim over the head at 11 p.m. Lincoln said, well, how did you know it was him at 11 p.m.? Mm -hmm. And the witness said, the moon was high and bright in the sky. And Lincoln said, aha, and threw his figurative briefcase by holding up a farmer's almanac and pointing out that, no, 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 we can actually see that the moon was not bright and high in the sky on that night. Mm -hmm. And Lincoln won that case. And both almanacs say, yeah, that was us. <laughs> And exactly. apparently it was neither. Yeah, there was a, the foreman of the jury said it was a Jane's Almanac, spelled like Thomas Jane. Yeah, exactly. 
Who knew he was going to make an appearance in this episode? Not me know? or the Brady Bunch. This is all over the map. Thomas, read, uh, Miami Vice. <laughs> I read an, um, a little kind of brief on the Almanac trial, and apparently Lincoln's, um, uh, uh, I almost said host, his uh-huh. uh, client. <laughs> and I am not in top form today, I'll tell you that. His client was just guilty of sin. Apparently uh-huh. one of his own defense witnesses said, you can put me on the stand, but you want to be careful what questions you ask me because you're not going to want to know. You, you're not going to want to hear what I have to say. So uh, he, he Just don't knew. ask me if he did it. <laughs> exactly. So he knew that, that this guy was guilty and he still defended him and, and got him acquitted, which is not Lincoln-esque. But apparently after he became president, kind of made some moves to um, get another guy who had been convicted as an accomplice released from prison because he knew that it was actually the guy who he had gotten acquitted. Oh, well, that's nice. It is, but it's some shady Lincoln stuff that's just, it's um, not in his character, or at yeah. least the character we understand. And the author of this this post on it said that um, they kind of chalked it up to, he was presented with one of those terrible moral choices that, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes come along in life where he, he had to choose between his own, you know, principles and a friendship that he really cared about, and he chose the friendship. So wow. people can excuse things, anything Lincoln did. He, we love him in the United States, for those of you who live <laughs> abroad. Uh, really quickly, uh, you might like to know that Emily was called to jury duty this week. Oh, yeah? How's it going? Well, she she was excused, but it was, it was going to be a murder trial. Wow. Isn't that crazy? She did not want to be on it. I can imagine. Um, and she was excused, but she went down to the, you know, the, uh, what's the voir dire? Is that what it was? What yes. Else? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. She went, she, yeah. She went through that process and had never been that far before. So it was fairly interesting. Yeah. Does, does she know why she was excused? Uh, she does. And I'll tell you later. Okay, great. I can't <laughs> wait to hear. She didn't, uh, she didn't like make up stuff that made her sound like a bad person or something like that, which is a common thing. Okay, good. No, that's out of her character. It's out of her character. Uh, all right, so let's get to the bottom of this weather thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two farmers' almanacs together, it seems like, sell between 10 and 12 million copies a year. Is that still, right? Wow, we. Which is unbelievable. Yeah, three to five million for the old, and it said, I think, six or so for the newer one. So I guess it's outpaced the old Farmer's Almanac, sadly. Mm. So one of the reasons people still buy this and still depend on it is for these long-range weather forecasts. Mm-hmm. And they have long touted a 50, or I'm sorry, an 80% 80. Uh, accuracy rate. That's crazy. Uh, I think you said earlier, 18 different regions in the U.S., six regions in Canada uh-huh. for the year ahead of time. A year? A full or in your case, uh, 18 months ahead of time. Yeah. And the old story was, is that the old farmer's almanac had a secret formula that Robert Thomas created himself, uh, locked in a black box in the offices in Dublin, New Hampshire. Yeah. Uh, apparently, editor Janice Stillman that you referred to uh, went to this box at one point, found a bunch of handwritten notes from Thomas about the weather, but not a secret formula. It's like a Geraldo moment. <laughs> And apparently, Farmer's Almanac also says they have a secret formula. It's everyone, they, they just keep copying one another. I know, it's crazy. So finally, um, so the Farmer's Almanac, the younger of the two, has a pseudonymous, pseudonym, pseudonym, pseudonymic? Yes, pseudonymic, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was about, I was porky pig in it. Yeah. 
Um, his name is Caleb Weatherby. And who knows who Caleb Weatherby actually is or how many people have been Caleb Weatherby over the years. But they say that Caleb Weatherby has a, a secret formula that's used from their founder, too. Um, so, again, exact same thing. But finally, in the last 50 years, I guess, the Old Farmer's Almanac said, we actually use modern technology to make these forecasts, right. too. Um, one of the things that they use that both seem to use, apparently, that is not necessarily part of typical meteorology um, is sunspot activity. Um, they take that into consideration when they're making these projections, and it's not entirely clear how much of an effect sunspot activity has on the weather, although it's agreed upon that it probably has some effect. But whether it has any effect or not, both almanacs almost are duty-bound to include mm -hmm. considerations of sunspot activity in their weather forecast because that is what the readers want from them. I mean, that's kind of explains everything about why the Farmer's Almanac is still around. Mm -hmm. They don't want it changed. They want it to be what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a guy named Tim Clark who wrote for about four decades in the Farmer's Almanac, the old mm -hmm. Farmer's Almanac, excuse me, yeah, and did a lot of uh, lectures and interviews about it, died a couple of years ago. Uh, and he very specifically talks about the fact that, like, people want it to be the same. People have been disappointed when they know we use uh, more modern uh, ways to predict weather. Mm -hmm. uh, and even when we're not right, people want us to be right. So they sort of either remember us as being right or think we're right even when we're not right. Exactly. Which is kind of funny. Uh, but when you look at what they're doing as far as an 80% success rate, and we'll get to e whether or not that's even true, <laughs> is they they just do sort of a, a, a historical average, like a peak at historical averages. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think over 30 years of rain. Yeah, they're called climate normals. Yeah, cl temperature and precipitation, basically. And then for each re uh, region, for each season of the year, they're going to say, all right, is it going to rain a little more or less? And is it going to be hotter and cooler than it has been over that 30-year average? Yeah, they don't, they don't go into like on, you know, July 28th, it's going to be, you know, 92 degrees in the, in the south. They don't do that. As far as I know, I haven't gotten my first copy yet. But from what I understand, they make these generalizations, right. not actual forecasts. And so what they say is, if it's even, if they say that it's going to be hotter than normal, even if they say much hotter than normal, if it's even a half a degree mm -hmm. over that 30-year climate normal average, then they're, right. they're like, we were correct. Yeah. They counted as correct. And they are technically they are technically, um, especially if you just take any qualifier out, like much hotter and just go right. with hotter than average, they are correct. And that's how they say that they um, they hit that 80% mark. Um, the thing is, is there have been studies, meteorologists love to take pot shots at um, the farmer's almanacs, yeah. any farmer's almanac, because they're like, it's impossible to predict the weather a year out. NOAA mm -hmm. has 90-day forecasts. They're 60% accurate. These guys are using every available technology to create these forecasts, and they can only hit 60% 90 days out. Their meteorologists are like, nobody can predict the weather anywhere accurately, especially for a whole season in an entire region a full year out. Yeah. And so people have done studies on just how accurate they are, and they usually come up short of 80%. Yeah, they always come up short of 80 
And it sort of ranges, I think, uh, by year. I think in 2021, 20, 22, uh, over that winter, um, there was the uh, woman from the Golden Gate Weather Service named Jan Null mm-hmm. um, calculated this one out. And she found for the winter uh, 21, 22, that for precipitation, the almanac was 40% correct, and for temperature, only 6% correct. Yeah, at the at the old farmers almanac offices, they call her Jan Null, the nullifier. <laughs> uh, fifty to fifty-two percent um, is what they found. I think generally, and the University of Illinois mm-hmm. um, was behind that one. So that's like it's sort of in flip a coin territory. Yeah, and Tim Clark says people want them to be right. Um, that it's basically just confirmation bias that, you know, when they're right, people remember it. When they're wrong, they forget. Um, and it's, uh, I can't speak for everybody. I mean, people who are like gardeners and like small farmers and stuff, they'll buy the farmer's almanac and maybe plan when they're going to start their garden or harvest crops based on those predictions. But there's not like hard feelings at the farmer's almanac if they get it wrong because it it means so much more than that. It's like this yeah. last outpost, this last bastion holding down like an agrarian past that just refuses to give way because the almanacs are keeping it going. And so it's almost to me the reason I ordered it is like a respite from the modern world. Yeah, and and um, just kind of stepping through like this um, a wardrobe, if you will, and entering a new world where. Um, there's acorns everywhere, and you can predict how bad the weather's going to be by how many squirrels are gathering those acorns yeah. on any given day uh-huh. in the fall. Um, just things that, like, it doesn't matter if they're scientific. It just draws your attention to an important part of the world, which is nature. It's still there, and you it yeah. just makes you focus your attention on it for a little while. And it's, it's, that's great. That's all, that's all it needs to do. To, to exist happily if, as far as I'm concerned. I agree. Uh, it's not like, oh, well, we have modern technology now to more correctly predict weather. So we should get rid of this long, the longest standing periodical in North America. Right. Uh, and all that, you know, kind of goofy, folksy charm and jokes and poetry. Like, uh, I guess they could say, well, like, yeah, do all that, but don't do the weather. But I mean, who cares? Yeah. No one's cares? living or dying by this thing. I mean, the very fact that we have that technology means we yeah. should keep the farmer's almanacs yeah. just to, as a reminder of other ways to be and think, too. I agree. You don't know your past. You don't know your future. Man, well put, Chuck. You know who would love that as a slogan on a T-shirt? <laughs> Philip Michael Thomas. Agreed. <laughs> uh, thank you, Chuck. If you uh, want to know more about the Farmer's Almanac, the Old Farmer's Almanac, any almanac, really, you can just go look online, ironically, and find them and order them and hang them up in your outhouse and get all retro. Uh, And since I said outhouse, that means it's time for listener mail. I'm going to call this Noam Chomsky Lives. Okay. Uh, Hey, guys. Love the show. Uh, It's one of those things that can comfort me when times are tough. And thanks for all you do. Awesome. And I remember we we weren't sure if Noam Chomsky was alive or dead, and we we don't like to stop and look things up while we go. Oh, who wants to do that? Nobody likes that, by the way. Uh, Chomsky is very much alive, you guys. Yeah. He changed my view of the world when I stumbled upon YouTube videos of his talks in high school. Uh, he's incredibly well-read, more so than any other public intellectual I've heard of. And uh, even if you're not down with the whole anac- 
pro-syndicalist thing. <laughs> nice. Wow. Uh, it's worth reading at least one of his political books to get a more thorough grasp of how the U.S. empire works. For instance, he was actually the first one who taught me about our old buddy Edward Bernays and his ilk and all the fun things that the CIA has done abroad. Uh, and that is from Sam. Thanks a lot, Sam. Much appreciated. Still alive, huh? Still alive. Did not know that. Um, well, if you want to let us know that somebody's still alive, we want to hear that kind of thing, especially if we thought they were dead. Uh, you can send it to us via email like Sam did to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, everybody. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Rain is naturally pure, so there's no need for harsh chemicals or additives. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. Enjoy the smooth, clean taste of still rainwater or the cold-pressured bubbles of sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And for a coupon, text STUFF to 251-292-8887 and receive $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's Rainwater. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month.